Malachi 1, starting at verse 6. A son honors his father, and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due to me? If I am a master, where is the respect due to me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you, priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But, you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple's doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying, the Lord's table is defiled, and its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord. Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. And now, you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen, and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them, because you have not resolved to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you'll be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this warning, so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he re revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenants with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. This is God's word. Thank you for reading. Thank you for reading so politely, um, probably more politely than the passage actually is intended. Not often is it that God says, I'm going to rub your face in some SH1T. 
That's what he says, chapter 2, verse 2. I just, I think what you're doing is so terrible. I'm just going to rub your face in the poo. Golly. Anyway, it's Sunday night. Welcome. And um, uh, if you've not met, my name's uh, Matt Ford. I'm the vicar here. We're working our way through uh, Malachi uh, the next six weeks, or last week and uh, a few more weeks. Um, not every passage is like tonight, but let's pray, and then we'll look at it together. Uh, Father, we know that the, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Your statutes are trustworthy, giving wisdom to the simple. Your precepts are right, giving joy to our hearts. Father, how we need that. Father, at this time of year, some will, uh, many of us will be delighted, back from holidays, long evenings, lovely. And uh, it's a good time of year for others. Uh, the pressures remain, and life is still hard. Father, please speak a word that we need this evening. Even as we turn to Malachi, and there's no way about it, here is a rebuke. Father, would we hear what we need to hear from your word this evening, we pray, to restore us, revive us, challenge us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, so it is a bit brutal, this one. Uh, God says... um, well, chapter 1, verse 10, do you know what, just, just shut the doors and get out. Sometimes that's what the Lord says to gatherings of his people. Do you know, would you just shut the doors and go away? Because this going through the motions of a worship service, oh, just, I hate it. I hate it. Perhaps most acute are the, the, the warnings that come to the spiritual leadership, in this case, the, the, the priests. What about, do you think about chapter 2, verse 2? The Lord says, every time you pray, I will send a curse on you. I will curse your blessings. Do you know what, priest, spiritual leader? I dislike what you're doing so much. Every time you pray, I will curse you, says the Lord. Golly. Here is a group of believers with, you'd have to say, a pretty serious problem. And I hope we're not as bad as them. But I'm sure there's something we can learn from the warning. Now, if you're joining us just tonight, uh, so last week we began uh, looking at the book of Malachi. It is the last book of the Old Testament, the last of the uh, the, the, the minor prophets, the 12 minor prophets, uh, around 450 BC. So it's a bit different from uh, the big hitters, um, that's an invidious thing to say, but uh, Isaiah, um, 8th century, much earlier uh, BC. And most of the warnings there are, or Hosea and Amos, um, don't follow idols. Don't follow the false gods. By this time, the warnings are a bit different. God's people have been taken off into exile. They've been brought back. And they're just going through the motions. It's all a little bit half-hearted. God is a bit disappointing for them. And so that's the sort of warning of the book against apathy, a spiritual apathy, a a half-heartedness of going through the motions. Now, I don't know if anyone watched the last episode of Neighbours. Um, uh, you're probably all too young to have ever watched it. I mean, when I was like at school, it was a bit like 
I don't know, culturally a bit like Love Island, probably a little more wholesome. Um, but sort of everyone watched it, and it's what everyone spoke about. And, you know, anyway, it was the last ever episode after about 30 years or something, um, just a couple of weeks ago. And none of you even watched it, did you? But um, uh, there was sort of, it was sort of, a, it was kind of an upbeat trying to draw the threads together. But lots of stars have been launched by uh, neighbors. And it's fair to say a number of them phoned in their performances for the final episode. Uh, almost literally, in the sense they zoomed in. Oh, look, it's the last ever episode of Neighbours, and there you are, whoever it may be, Margot Robbie or Natalie Imbruglio or, or these people who, who, whose careers were launched by Neighbours. Can you come and be in the last episode? Oh, well, I suppose I owe some kind of debt to Neighbours. for lo- So I'll, I'll give you two minutes on Zoom to camera. How about that? So this is going through the motions and, you know, it's sort of a bit feeble and pathetic. But you know that sort of phrase when an actor is accused of phoning in a performance? They sort of, yeah, give me the money. I'll sort of mumble my lines, but I ain't giving, you know, I ain't winning any Oscars for this one because I'm just not into the script. Or the... Well, here's a, a group of believers who are just phoning in their worship, in their lives in their gatherings. They're just phoning in the spiritual life, going through the motions. Well, I suppose we owe God, so we ought to turn up. We ought to offer a little bit of sacrifice. But that's just, I mean, not too much, eh? I mean, I can't really be bothered with any of this. And Malachi says, no. Or perhaps more than any other book, very obviously, you say, the Lord says, no. Unusually, in the book of Malachi, 47 out of 55 verses are God directly speaking. This is the voice of the Lord through Malachi. I mean, it's always that in the scriptures, but very obviously so. We said last time, six speeches uh, through the book, and we were working through them in turn. And they basically, uh, God says something, the people go, what? What are you talking about? And then he replies. So uh, last time we looked at just uh, chapter 1, verses uh, 1 to 5. I've loved you, says the Lord. And the people say, What? How have you loved us? And the Lord explains. And we said last time, in many ways, that's the, uh, the problem behind all the others. They doubt that God loves them. And therefore, they're going through the motions. Actually, if you're going to have an active spiritual life, if you're going to serve the Lord wholeheartedly, you really need to know that, <laughs> that he loves you. That was last time. Uh, tonight, you see, um, the uh, you show contempt for my name, the Lord says at the end of verse 6. And the people say, wow, we've shown contempt for your name. Uh, and then he gives them the answer, which is the rest of our section tonight. So it's very simple. There are two halves to it. Uh, and I framed it in a really miserable way. But that's slightly about how the passage does it. If you want God to hate the way you worship him, here are two things to do, okay? One, offer him lame sacrifices, and two, give false instruction, okay? Now, you're bright people. You can invert that, okay, in your own minds. But if you want God to dislike what you do with your lives, and when we gather, offer him lame sacrifices, give false instruction, Let's work through them. First then, uh, offer him lame sacrifices. That's a way to incur his displeasure. Chapter 1, verses 6 to 14. I think chapter verses 6 to 9 are primarily the, the priests, the spiritual leaders. Chapter 10 to 14, the whole people. Uh, we'll get there in time. But um, verse 6. 
A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I'm a father, where is the honor due to me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due to me? Says the Lord Almighty. Look, you, you get this concept. Your dads, generally, your employers, generally, you show them respect. You get the concept of showing someone respect, and yet you're showing me contempt, says the Lord. Why are we doing that, say the people? Verse 7, by offering defiled food on my altar. Why have we done that? Well, by saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. Here's the outrage, verse 8. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? It is. Leviticus 22, very clear, the sort of sacrifices they should offer. Pure, the best. Not not a, a creature that you can't use for anything else. Or when you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Try that. So basically what you're doing, you know, your sacrifices, they're not okay, says the Lord. What's wrong with them, say the people? You're giving me the dregs. Try it in this term. Try them um, if, you, if you're meeting, if you, someone invites you over for dinner. Uh, come, on, come for a barbecue while the weather's so good and nice and hot. And, um, uh, so you go over to someone's house uh, and you turn up a little bit late with, uh, and you turn up and say, oh, hi, I've got, and these are for you. Oh, what's that? Well, it's sort of, it's, I mean, there's a bit of curry left in this from last night in the bottom of the silver tray and, and half a can of cider. Thanks for, thanks for inviting me over. Right. I mean, that's disgusting. I mean, cider, come on. Um, uh, what, what? You wouldn't do that? And the Lord says, well, that's what you're doing. You're offering me just the leftovers. I mean, try, try that with the governor. Try that with your boss. So the boss says, uh, okay, here's a, here's a chunky piece of work. It'll take you, I mean, I know you're going on holiday next week, but when you get back, it'll probably take you about four weeks' work to get it done. You know, it's a decent project. It'll stretch you. You know, you know I want to invest in you. I'll be there. You know, oh, okay, great. Um, and you look at it for five minutes and then hand it back to him, done it. What are you, what are you talking about? It's like 200 hours worth of work, I'm expecting, and you've done five minutes on it. Yeah, yeah. That's what you're getting. That's what I got. I mean, you're lucky I've given you that. Don't try that at work, by the way. The Lord says, don't try that with me. Well, you apply for a new job and they say, uh, can you send in a letter explaining why you're suitable for the job, you know, hitting the criteria, and you just write back one line, you want me. Kiss, kiss. <laughs> I mean, What? You don't get anywhere with that sort of perfunctory offering. And God says, why do you think that's okay with me? Why would that be acceptable? Verse 9, now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Uh, Think you'll be gracious when you're offering the dregs? Think again. 
Verses 10 to 14, I, I think it's the people as a whole now, so he's, the, the priests bring them, but because in particular verses 13 and 14, it's, it's, the, it's the people who offer, who bring the creatures for the offering. I think verses 10 to 14 are for the whole congregation, or the whole people of, um, of Judah at the time. And here is again pretty strong language, verse 10. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord. I will accept no offering from your hands. Nothing. And I don't need you, verse 11. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. I don't need you, to be clear. I'm not sat in heaven going, oh, I just need them to give me something decent. You know, I, 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 come on, I just need something. Ba-. I don't need you. I can wipe you out. Start all over. Quite able of doing, doing that. Verse 12, you profane the sacrificial system. You say, oh, the Lord's table is defiled. Its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. Verse 13, and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. The, the, the verb sniff, it, it's literally puff, breath, heavy breath. So I, I think probably the more aridium would be, you, you arrive at the temple with a heavy sigh and go, oh, wow, can we just get, I mean, can you just do mine first? Can we get this over with, please? I mean, what's the time? He's not going to go on past seven, is he, for goodness sake? Uh, you know, let's get out of here. I mean, I've turned up. What else? I mean, what else does God want? That's what they're doing, what they're saying. But verse 13, when you bring the injured, the lame, the diseased animals and offer them as a sacrifice, should I accept them from your hands? Do you think I will? Verse 14, let me be clear. Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. If you're able to give and you you don't, you're an animal. For you and me, our lives, but if you, I'll just go away. Just go away. Cursed is the cheat. Because, you know, verse 14, why? For I'm a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Oh dear. (laughs) What about for you and for me? Because obviously we're not in Judah in 450 BC. What about for you and for me? Let me try and keep it simple. Um, uh, The Old Testament, let's, let's simplify it. Let's say broad, broad, broad brush. The Old Testament sacrificial system has three different types of sacrifice. Okay, this is a bit simplistic, but let's keep it simple. First, sin offerings. The people had to offer sacrifices, bulls, lambs, goats, for sin, we've stopped. Christians don't do that. The New Testament is crystal clear. The Lord Jesus Christ is the sacrifice once for all, for all our sin. We don't offer sacrifices of atonement. We don't offer sacrifices for our sin. Jesus is that sacrifice. So we don't need to worry about that. We give thanks. The second broad category in the Old Testament will be fellowship offerings, which are just great 
Now I'm okay with God, I can sit down and have a meal with him. And that's what they represented. I I can sit down and and enjoy God's company. Uh, Loosely in the New Testament, that becomes sacrifices of praise with our lips. Or um, uh, the fragrant offering of our finances, Philippians 4. Broadly, those are fellowship offerings in the New Testament. Uh, And then lastly, so sin offerings for atonement. Fellowship offerings, great. I'm in relationship with the Lord. Uh, and the last, a more, a more general bucket of categories you might call sacrificial offerings. They just train people in a sacrifice. And I guess at that point, you're thinking it's a little bit like Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, offer your bodies, your lives, as a living sacrifice. Okay. So still, what, what does that mean for you and me? Well, it means sacrifice were always acceptable before the Lord. If you're a Christian trusting in the work of Jesus Christ, you're accepted. It's qualitatively different from any believer in the Old Testament because his, his sacrifice is once for all. And yet, um, the genuine Christian will make sacrifices for the Lord of our lives, of our lips, of our finances. So how do we know if God is pleased with them or, or just thinks, oh, golly, I mean, I forgive you because of my son, but golly, it's all a bit half-hearted from you at the moment. Well, look, here's some thoughts. Three ways of assessing. Are we offering sacrifices that please the Lord or, or displease him? Uh, first would be this. Do we give the best of our time or the leftovers? I, mean, I guess that's the question of verse 8. The problem of verse 8. They're giving just the leftovers. And for you and me, do, do we live life and then just squeeze God into the margins? Just, there's just a bit of time for God. I mean, I suppose I ought to, I mean, I, I ought to do something for the Lord. I mean, just, oh, well, this week I'll do something for the Lord. Do we think my life is yours, Lord? I live it for you. Or my life is mine. I live it for me. And I'll just squeeze you into the corner of life. Do we offer him the best? Or what's left over? I I guess, secondly, is sacrificing for the Lord a pleasure to us or do we resent it? Verse 13, you've got to remember that the Lord, what the Lord has done for us, I think. (laughs) Um, Again, the Christian, okay, I could do this with my whatever time, my money, my life, or I could do this. Well, Probably wants to do this, but I love the Lord, and I know what he's done for me, so I can do this. I will go without. I will live for him. I make decisions that put him first. And you know that it's pleasing to him if it isn't resentful, grumpy. God loves a cheerful giver in all senses, I think. So look, do we give the best or our leftovers? Are there a joy or do we resent them? Uh, and then verse 14, I, I guess, do we, do we genuinely give? I mean, do we intend to give sacrificially, but then give lamely? And we all know that sense of, you know, you could be here on a Sunday and think, whatever it is, it is yes, yes, that's right. And I'm going to live for the Lord. And then on Tuesday, no, that was wrong. I am not. Um, and there could be a disconnect. Do we follow through? I mean, not perfectly, of course. We're all stumbling. Do we follow through? There's be some 
thoughts. But you get what he's saying here. But it's a challenge. Even with a Christian who knows they're forgiven and accepted because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's saying, God doesn't enjoy it when you just go through the motions. You bring no pleasure to him. There's a sense in which he thinks, just go home. Because I want your sacrifices to be joyful, <laughs> to be real. I want the best of you, not the scraps, not the leftovers. So at some point this week, when you have dinner, and then you scrape what's left into the bin, you think, that's what Malachi was talking about. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I want to give the Lord my best. So there's the first thing. If you, if you want to worship in a way that God hates, offer him lame sacrifices. Should we turn that around? God delights when we give him our best, our first. But the second way of bringing him um, displeasure will be to give false instruction. Let's pick up the pace. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. Uh, this is another way to guarantee his dislike. And here again, the priests are addressed first. Verse 1. Now, you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen and if you do not resolve to honour my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I've cursed them already because you've not resolved to honour me. Oh dear, oh dear, this is the brutal bit. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I'll smear on your faces, feces, the dung from your festival sacrifices. I, you know, these animals come in to be offered and they obviously, they make a mess. And God says, I'm just going to rub your face in that. And you'll be carried off with it. And you'll know that I've sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. The priests in Malachi's day had two functions. One, they offered sacrifices. They were the ones who just put things on the altar and, and let them burn. Secondly, they instructed the people in the law of Moses, and they failed in both those things. And here the emphasis is going to fall upon their instruction. They failed to instruct people rightly. Now hear what God says. It is a warning Verse 4, this is a warning so that my covenant may continue. Like, I'm telling you this so you can sort it out before things get to a really parlous state. A, a warning is a healthy thing. A little while ago, it was a Sunday night, I was late a bit tired. Uh, cycling back, uh, my cycle route takes through, me through uh, Parliament Square, and I went through a light that was of an ambiguous colour to my mind. Um, I, I think uh, Amber and, and others may have a different view of its redness. Um, but anyway, uh, uh, behind me, woo, little, a little police motorcycle uh, came up and a uh, chap pulled me over and said, um, do you wear glasses, sir? Uh, uh, only just for reading um, sometimes. You don't, oh, you sure you don't wear glasses? You know, where's this going? No, officer, I, I, I don't. Oh, well, either you need to wear glasses or you're completely stupid because you went through a red light with me sat there, a policeman. So either your eyesight is bad or you're just stupid. I leave it to you, sir, which one you think it is. Don't do it again. And off he burned, um, far faster than 20 miles an hour, I have, you know. Um, uh, which I would have 
I've not kept to myself. Um, it's a helpful warning. It was a warning. And of course, he's saying, like, I'm not going to fine you now, but in memorable terms, sir, don't do that. It's a warning, says the Lord. I, I don't want to take firmer action. You can sort this out. Why not be like Levi? Verse 5, my covenant was with Levi, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It's called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth. Nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. He turned many from sin. Probably a reference to Exodus 32. Do you remember Moses is up the mountain, uh, Mount Sinai, receiving the commandments, and the people down below uh, with Aaron, they make the golden calf, and they, and they rebel, and they sin. But Levi, Levi is the one, and his descendants say, stop it, stop it, stop it. So Levi stands up for the Lord, and so that's why I think uh, a reference uh, to that. They revered the Lord. But here he's commended, did you see the two things he's commended for? Verse 6, true instruction and walking in uprightness. He taught truly. He lived rightly. By contrast, the, uh, the priests of Malachi's day, verse 7, or the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he's the messenger of the Lord Almighty. The people seek instruction from his mouth, but... But you, in your day, you've turned from the way and your teaching have caused many to stumble. You've violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord. Of course, you should be despised and humiliated before all the people because you've not followed my ways. Levi, he taught truly, he lived rightly. You lot, you teach falsely, you live badly. Be like Levi. Stop it, is his point here. Because the priests of Malachi's day, they'd entered into collusion with the people. The people were saying, can we just go through the motions spiritually? Uh, and the priests, the religious leaders said, yeah, we'll just play you on side with that. We'll just, whatever you want to hear, we're your guys. We'll just tell you what you want to hear. Uh, a while ago, um, my son, had, was a, with his school, went to a, a service uh, at Westminster Abbey. I can't even remember what it was for now. But anyway, I went along. And uh, the service at Westminster Abbey. And the, 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 the reading, uh, so there's... The whole school there, I can't remember what it was for even. Anyway, the, the, um, uh, the whole school was there and uh, the reading and uh, Psalm 19, wonderful. You know, the Lord, the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul, the magnificent, you know, just the most glorious reading. The sermon, the sermon was curious. Um, you know, because the end of Psalm, Psalm 19, of course you get, who can discern their errors, forgive my hidden faults, keep your servant from uh, willful sins. I mean, it's a glorious text. The sermon can I say to you, young men and young women, never be content. Always pursue more. Strive for greatness. You can achieve wonderful things. I mean, it was a sermon that aspirational London kids and their parents loved. Oh, yes. Tell us our children are wonderful. Mm -hmm. Tell us our children are going to do really well in the future. Mm -hmm. um, that's what we want to hear. There's complete collusion. There's a, a bloke stood up and gave a, nothing to do with what the Bible said at all. Absolutely zero reference to Psalm 19. Just a sermon that fitted the culture of the day. That's what Malachi is critiquing. The priests just played everyone on side. And that'll take place up and down the country all over today. You probably don't follow things such as the... the, uh, the 
the Lambeth Conference, why would you? The, the newspapers barely trouble to, uh, to mention this. 10-day gathering of archbishops from around the world within the Anglican Church. And uh, this week they decided, well not they decided, that the, the Archbishop of Canterbury declared, well, truth's a bit subjective, isn't it? Some of us believe this and some of us believe that, but hey, we've had a good time, haven't we? Uh, and that was kind of it. Um, oh, because some of you, you know, you, you African bishops, you, you, you have to say that because it fits your culture. And you North American bishops in Canada and the US, you have to say that because it fits your culture, and that's fine. And Malachi would say, that is not fine. You don't just preach a message that fits the culture. You, verse 7, on your lips, you should preserve knowledge. Someone who's teaching the Bible is a messenger of the Lord Almighty. The people seek and need instruction from his mouth. You deliver what God says, not what you think the people want to hear. So there you go. If you want the Lord to dislike your worship, offer lame sacrifices, give false instruction. doesn't matter if you're up here at the front in a small group, an international cafe, whatever it is. You can easily go wrong. Or if you want the Lord to delight in your worship, give him your best. Offer true instruction would be the counterpoint here. As we finish, let me just say this. What do we need? Well, I think we need to look beyond the priests of Malachi's day. We need a better priest and teacher. What do we do with a passage such as this? I mean, it's pretty grim. I mean, some of the language is pretty full on. Uh, And I sense the first thing I guess we do with this is hopefully they do shake us out of our apathy. It's certainly designed to do that if we're going through the motions But secondly, you see, there is a danger. We could feel a bit ashamed and think, oh, yeah, must do better. Must do better. Must be more joyful in sacrificing. Must not go through the motions. And we can try and sort of whip that up within ourselves. But that won't work. (laughs) Um, That's just not the way Christianity works. We need to look to a better priest and a better teacher. So we need to look to the Lord Jesus. Let me look, turn you to, to one passage, Hebrews chapter 10. If you want, just let me give you a few verses. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 15 to 18, where the writer says, The Holy Spirit also testifies about, to us about this. First, he says, present tense, the Spirit says, This is the covenant I'll make with them after that time, says the Lord. I'll put my laws in their hearts and I'll write them on their minds. Then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I'll remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Let's leave that up there. If you want in simple terms, the two great distinctives of the the new covenant as compared to the old covenant, of of the priesthood of Jesus compared to the Old Testament priests, the two great distinctives, you get it twice in the book of Hebrews. One, forgiveness is once for all. no No more sacrifices for sin. Forgiveness is once and for all. Jesus has paid for everything you can do wrong. Second great distinctive, the law is written upon your heart if you're a Christian. Don't try and find it. It's not engraved. What it means is God's spirit dwells within you so that you can live differently. Those are the two great distinctives. Forgiveness, once and for all. God's spirit 
dwelling within you so that you know the truth in a deeper way than any Old Testament believer can. That's the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we can live differently. Again, you and I need to know chapter 1 and verse 2. I've loved you, says the Lord, and I've loved you in Jesus. And in the light of tonight's passage, what sort of love is that? Oh, it's not a needy love. It's a love that gives. The Lord does not need you. He does not need your love or your sacrifices. He gives to us. He loves horrible us and makes us more. We love wonderful him. It doesn't add anything. It makes us richer for enjoying him. His is not a needy love, it's a giving love. His is not a fickle love, it's a constant love. His is not a passive love, half-hearted. It's passionate and it's transforming. If you know that, if you know his love shown in Jesus, that motivates, that motivates in a way that just feeling bad can never do. You've got to know that he loves you. And it empowers because his love transforms. His spirit dwells within. So you know I don't need to go through the motions like they did in Malachi's day. We have far greater resources at our disposal. disposal. Forgiveness once for all. God's spirit dwelling within. So we can offer worship which brings delight to the Father. Let's pray together. Our great God and Father, certainly my prayer is that we hear what we need to hear this evening. Perhaps for some, we do need the rebuke. We do offer you pretty lame sacrifices. We go through the motions. We give you our fag ends. We give you our butts. We give you the tiny bits of time that are left over, rather than knowing that you are a great king, that you have given everything for us, and you are worthy of our love. Father, would we see you rightly so that we love you? But Father, for, for some, we're working pretty hard. <laughs> Actually, we, we're giving of our lives to you. Would you just refresh us with the knowledge of who the Lord Jesus is? Would you encourage us that sacrifices for you are a delight? Sacrifices offered through Jesus, knowing that we're forgiven already, knowing that you're delighted with our even flawed efforts. Father, help us. So help us to talk about this with one another. Help us to discern our own hearts before you. Would we hear what we need this evening? Would we hear it rightly, Lord, so that we love you rightly? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.